then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Good morning. So good to have you here today. God bless you. It's October already. Time is flying by. And um, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Last uh, week we spent eight days in Haiti. And uh, thank you for your prayers for safety. Never once did we feel unsafe, either our health or our physical security. So Things are about the same in Haiti, lots of damage. We were able to build a house while we were there. This is, uh, back up one, this is Jackson. Jackson is uh, this young man here. He has, and his wife, they have six children, and they're raising two of his sister's children who she passed away. So... Uh, this big family, they're little little right now, but it's a lot of kids, and, and this is their house right now. This is where they're living. Uh, he's a member of our church. They live in the community where we serve, the village where we serve. Most of the ones who are school age go to our school, and those are all qualifications in order to get a home and also to own your property, and, th- and that's what we built. Uh, for us, it would be uh, like a shed, a storage shed. But as you can see, uh, it, it is quite a substantial difference for them. It gets them off of the dirt. And most of these families live on the dirt, just living on the dirt, kids sleeping on the dirt. And you can imagine the health issues they have just due to that. So we build these little tiny homes, and this is one of the best ones we've built. It was the most level and square and just went up so well. Thanks to Dana Miller. Uh, really, I call I, I call all of our houses according to the, the guys who led the way on the house. This is Dana's house. Really, it's Jackson's, but Dana Miller, Dave Philbin, Bill Guy. We took Caleb Carter and Jameson also. But this is the house we built, and we are so pleased to be able to do that. When we started building these homes, they were about $3,000, a little over. This home costs closer to $5,000 because of the price, the scarcity of lumber, good lumber, and the price, and getting it to where it needs to go. So, thank you. Some folks in our church have given just to build one of these houses, and I would love every time I go to have the funds to build one to help a family get off the dirt. These are earthquake-proof. We don't know if they're hurricane-proof yet, but I'm thinking they're going to they're gonna stand it pretty good. Maybe you might lose some metal, but it's, it's doing well. So thank you for supporting that mission. We also took student pictures. That's what Caleb Carter did for us. He and Jameson took student pictures of all 250 students. So if you sponsor a child, then in the next month or so, you should get an updated newsletter and a giving statement for Haiti and also a picture of your child. If you don't sponsor a child and you'd like to, there are plenty of children who need to be sponsored. Any, anything from $20 and up will sponsor a child. We can give them uh, two meals a day every weekday. We give them uh, medical care. We give them school uniforms, books, pay the teachers. We do all that on uh, about $25 
a student per month. So we'd love to see you sponsor one. Some people pay the whole year. Some people pay by the month. Some people have paid 10 years in advance. That's a real blessing. So it's a great work that we are doing as a church. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Uh, We were also able, the last thing, we were able to assess the damage from the earthquake. The earthquake that recently hit not far from here. People who had homes in our village and who were part of the church, we looked at about 12 homes. And those that had block, they don't all have block. As you could see from that last picture, no block in that house. A lot of them have thatch, but most of them are just tin thrown up with some kind of wood poles and tarps. But those that did have block had some issues because their block is very brittle. It's not very strong. Their concrete's not very strong uh, until they get a layer of plaster on it. And most of them can't. They just do that as they get the money. So a lot of those homes were destroyed uh, partially. And so we're going to, the money you gave for earthquake relief, we're going to be helping them rebuild or repair their walls. All right? So, great trip. Thanks a lot for your support of this mission. This is our one big overseas mission. This is what we do. Can't do everything. We've chosen to do this. I'd love to take you over there with me in December. Going to go back in December. Get your passport. Raise some money. Cost us about $1,700 to take you on this trip. If you're a first-timer, we'll give you $200 as a scholarship. If you need more than that, talk to us. We'll see what we can do. But... All right, enough about Haiti. We're in a new series today. We're in a new series called, what's that called? Read it with me. Available. Available. So you can kind of imagine this series, what it's about. Over the last several months, we've been in a series or two that has really taken us into a deep dive uh, theologically or spiritually. You know, we just finished up the Faith with Doubt series, and we dealt with a lot of Deep issues, really, and dived into Scripture for those. This series is also going to be a dive into Scripture, but it's, it's a more practical series. It's a more practical series. We have three uh, goals for this series. Number one, we want you to understand the biblical view of service. In other words, why should we step up to serve? Why should we become available to God? We don't see what the Bible says. You know, that's always our first source is what does God say about this? And God says something about becoming available, about serving. Secondly, we want to highlight the areas of ministry in our church. Every campus is doing this, and some campuses need help in areas where others don't. But everybody needs people to step up. So we're going to highlight those areas. Starting next week, you're going to hear a little bit about our ministries as we go along throughout the month. Five Sundays in this month, there'll be five messages in this series. And lastly, we want to help you discover what we call your ministry shape. Now, this is an acronym that's been been used for several years, and it's been used by a lot of people, and it's a very helpful acronym. And it alludes to the fact that every body is a little bit different and a little bit the same. We're a little bit the same and a little bit different, and we're uniquely shaped to serve. We're uniquely shaped to serve. You know, we all have different body shapes. Some of us are a little bit alike. Some of us are a whole lot different. 
If you go back and stand next to Greg McDilda, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Greg will be up here, and you'll be looking up at Greg. So uh, what does it feel like to look down on everybody, Greg? I'd like, I'd like to be able to hit my head on something someday. I wouldn't even sew it up. I'd just let it bleed. You know, I hit my head on the, the thing there. Well, spiritually speaking, we're all different when it comes to our shape. Now, shape is a word that is an acronym. And so there's five letters in the word shape, and we're going to take each one of these per Sunday over the next five weeks, the month of October. Today, we're going to cover the S. But basically, here's what they stand for. Uh, my spiritual gift, my heart, my abilities, my personality, my experiences. My spiritual gift, everybody's got one. We're going to talk about that one today. My heart, that's what makes you cry, what makes you laugh, what moves you emotionally, what stirs you, that makes you want to get up and do something about what you see, about what you hear, about what you experience. Hopefully, some of the pictures we show from our Haiti mission will stir your heart that, hey, you want to do something. And I guarantee you, if you go with us, the little ones there will stir your heart and you'll want to go back. My abilities, what's the difference in an ability and a spiritual gift? We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But some of you have abilities. You can play sports or you have, you're good with numbers or you might, uh, you, you know, you might be a, a, a gardener or some ability that you're good at. might not be a spiritual gift, but it's an ability and it can be used by God. Personality, everybody's got a personality. Some people have two or three. Hopefully you only have one or we might have some issues. But your personality plays into how you are shaped to serve. And of course, your experiences. Everybody's got different experiences, growing up experiences, educational experiences, vocational experiences, life experiences, painful experiences. You know, someone said, don't ever waste your pain. God doesn't waste your pain. Don't ever waste your pain. So all these things together combine to make up your shape, and we're going to cover them over the next five weeks, five Sundays counting today, so that you can become and have a desire to become available, available. That's the title of the series. So let's go back to Isaiah. This is the biblical view. This is the introductory part, all right, and we'll get the spiritual gifts in a minute, but I want to I give you this biblical view for service. Why is it? What could make us available? What could make us step up and be available? Isaiah 6 is a great chapter. Isaiah is a great book. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah, 66 books in the whole Bible. A lot of parallels. Isaiah talks a lot about Jesus. Matthew or uh, Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant. There's a whole lot of Isaiah. We could spend a year or more, 10 just in the book of Isaiah, and most of it, we'd be talking about Jesus. Isaiah had a vision here in chapter 6. Let's read what he saw. This is chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, look, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, therefore, is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, here's our key verse that you heard earlier. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, and let's read it together. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. As Isaiah became available to God, he was about to say yes to God in this vision. And then God asked a question and he said, yes, I'm available, send me. What made him do that? What made Isaiah do that? Because I'm convinced that whatever made Isaiah become available to God is the same thing that can motivate us to become available to God, if we'll let it. First of all, he saw God's glory and his holiness. That was the overwhelming impression from the vision he saw. He, he acknowledged that God is sovereign and that he was not. He got a glimpse of the glory of God. He saw God high and exalted. He saw God seated on a throne. He, the throne, God was seated on, the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Angels, that's what seraphim are. A seraph is an angel. Seraphim is the plural of that. And these six-winged angels were flying around. They were guardian angels. That's what seraphs are. They guard, they guard, they were guarding the throne. So not that anybody could get close to this throne, but if they could, you know, these guardian angels could slap you with one and clap with the other five as you fell backwards. You know, do you think Joel took a tumble? You would take a tumble through the universe. And so they were guardian angels, and he saw these incredible creatures flying above him, and they were singing a song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's a song that I think we'll sing one day. We'll be joining them. We'll be singing this song in heaven. It'll be one of many songs, and there'll be a new song, the Bible says. Maybe Taylor Shea will write that one, and we'll be singing a new song. Uh, probably God will write it, and Taylor will lead it or something, right? By the way, Taylor made that bumper video and, because he has a gift to do that kind of thing. And so we get a glimpse, Isaiah did, of God's glory. And when you see God in all his glory and his holiness, it should make you say, God, you're God, and I'm not. I'm a lowly creature, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And that's what happens when you're in the presence of royalty, when you're in the presence of glory and holiness. It is a, an overwhelming moment. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of somebody really powerful and famous, but there's sometimes a little bit of, a, of an awe to it. I mean, they're just people, 
and it's a little different than God, but it's kind of the same in that we feel kind of small. I saw recently where Woody Williams celebrated his 97th birthday. How many of you know who Woody Williams is? Everybody in the state of West Virginia should know who Woody Williams is. He served at Iwo Jima during World War II. He's one of the last remaining Congressional Medal of Honor winners in our state, and he just turned 97. And I remember meeting him for the first time, and I'm like, wow, this is a hero. This is one of our heroes. And he's from right here in the state of West Virginia. I think he lives down in the Huntington area. And so this is a little different in that this is God. And when you meet someone like that, if Woody Williams, when I met him, had said, hey, get me a cup of coffee, I would have said cream and sugar. And so when you get a glimpse of who God is, that's, that's what you do. You become immediately available. Also, what made Isaiah available was his own sinfulness, when you get into the presence of holiness, you realize, man, I'm not worthy. I am, I'm dirt. I am a worm. That's what one psalm says. I am a worm and not a man. When Isaiah recognized this glory, he said, woe to me. I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You know what I'm talking about. You get out there in your circles and your organizations, and some organizations are worse than other organizations. Some cultures are worse than other cultures. And there are some cultures that don't even look at the line. They just cross the line and keep going. Every other word out of their mouth is filthy. It's the F-bomb here and the F-bomb there. Every part of speech. And they're demeaning to others. And it is, it is a culture of immorality and debauchery. And some of you have been in that culture. You may work in a culture like that. I hope not, because it would wear on you. Or, or, or maybe it's your circle of friends. I know, I've been, I've been in a part of cultures that were a whole lot worse than others. And it, after a while, instead of you pulling it up, it pulls you down, and you start to adopt that culture. But even if you were in the best of cultures, even if you were in a, like if you were on the church staff here, you, some of you may think, oh man, that, those are all saints. Let me tell you something. There's some people that need dealt with here. I need, Mike, I need some help. I'm kidding mostly. But look, there's no culture. You guys thought I was serious. There's, there's no culture that is good enough, worthy enough. We are all people of unclean lips and impure thoughts and selfish pride. We all have problems because we're all human. And so take the best of us, the best of us, whoever that is, the best of the best. And we could still say we are a people of unclean lips. Now, a lot of people feel so unworthy that they run from God. They run from their obligation to God. They run from serving God. They run from the church. Because they think, how could God ever use me? He, how could he ever love me? He can't love me. How could he use me? But God does love you. God wants to use you. And so there's this thing called Ada. Ada. Say that with me, Ada. 
Did your mama ever use that word with you? You ought to do something. You ought to do that. You ought to clean your room. You ought to do your homework. There's this intrinsic feeling that we get because we know what's going to happen if we don't, and this is the right thing to do, so we ought to do it. It's amazing to me how we have seen, I don't know if this is a kind of a new thing, it seems new to our culture over the last few years, where there'll be a public assault or a fight, and somebody's getting, you know, somebody helpless, a victim is a victim, they're getting beat up by someone, and there are lots of bystanders around, and what are they doing? Half of them. They're filming it. Yeah, they're recording it. And what they ought to do is defend the defenseless. You say, oh, but they might shoot me. They might kill me. They might stab me. Let's hope somebody has some courage and selflessness to do what they ought to do. If enough of us do what we ought to do, we could really change a lot of things in our world. And so that's what the Bible says. Uh, you know, many times in the New Testament, because of Christ, because of our, uh, who we are in him, the Bible says you ought to do this. Paul told Timothy, I'm gonna tell you what to do so people will know how they ought to act. First Timothy 3.15. Paul told Philemon, here's how you ought to treat Onesimus. He uses the word ought. Philemon 1.8, 2 Peter 3.11, Peter said, everything's gonna be destroyed and since it will be destroyed, how should you or how ought you to live, the people you ought to be? Apostle John said in 3 John 1.8, we ought to show hospitality to others. So there's a lot of intrinsic uh, motivation in me to do what the right thing is. It's the right thing to do. It's not, you know, take everything else aside. Whether it's safe or not, it's what I ought to do. It's what right looks like. And that's what you ought to ask yourself. That's the question when something's happening and you say, what should I do? What does right look like? What's the right thing to do? That's what you ought to do. So because of his own sinfulness, he, he came to that conclusion. And then lastly, because of forgiveness. The angel took the hot coal and touched his lips and said, look, this is a symbolic gesture here. You're clean now. You're forgiven. Your unclean lips are now clean. You can speak the message God wants you to speak. You can go and do what God wants you to do. And I want to tell you, when you realize that God has forgiven you and the sins he has forgiven you of, the sins he will forgive you of, it ought to make us surrender everything to him. I surrender all. So this is a biblical view of ministry, of service. God's holiness and glory our sinfulness, and our forgiveness from God. That's a biblical view. Because of this, not one of you, not one person, from the youngest all the way to the oldest, should sit out the call and the commission of God. Everybody should say yes to God. I'm not talking just about showing up. You know, maybe you get points for showing up. We, we're not on a point system, don't get me wrong. But some people think we are. Okay, I showed up, so that's good enough. No, showing up for church is the least you can do. 
There's so much more God is asking us to do. This is not for salvation. Don't get me wrong. Uh, We are saved by grace through faith, but we are saved for good works. And there should be no good work left undone. No good work left undone with the number of people we have in the church in the world. All right? Someone said, availability is the greatest ability. Think about it. You might be awesome. You might be an awesome singer. You might be incredible. But if you never show up to sing, then what good is that awesome voice of yours going to do? A friend of mine just flew up from uh, Florida, was flying to Charleston and had to come to Charlotte and up. And he missed his connecting flight because he sat in the plane for five hours last week. I said, what happened? He said, we didn't have a pilot. The pilot didn't show up. Evidently, he got sick. They called someone else. He couldn't come. They got somebody else. And finally, after five hours, they got someone to come fly that plane. He was grounded because of one man. But what an important man for a flight, huh? I mean, that's the one guy you want to have some sense in his brain when you fly. I mean, we could do without the flight attendants. We don't want to. We could do without them. We can get our own, uh, you know, drinks and uh, biscotti. I love those little things there. And we, uh, we, we could even probably do without the co-pilot. We want that guy. And do you understand that when you say no and you sit it out, you're like that pilot and the whole plane is grounded because you didn't show up. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you and your spiritual gift. That's what the S stands for, your spiritual gift. Lord, I am available with my spiritual gift. That's what we want to say. Lord, I am available with my spiritual gift. Every Christian has one, a spiritual gift. Everybody, if you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is, but hopefully you do. If you don't, hopefully by the end of this series or maybe by this week, you'll know what your spiritual gift is. It's not a mystery. It should be easy for you to know this. So let's talk about it for a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one place where we read about spiritual gifts. It's also in Romans 12. It's in 1 Peter 4. We read our focus verse. It's in a couple other places throughout the New Testament. But I want to read this, and this is where we're going to take our uh, main thought from for the next few minutes. Paul is writing. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying here is, you know, you can tell a difference. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, that's a huge text when it comes to spiritual gifts. Let's, let me tell you two or three things about these gifts. First of all, 
And by the way, remember, this all plays into your shape. You got to know what this is before we can go to the next one. Your spiritual gift comes from God himself. It's a divine gift. It's not like a gift from a friend. This is a gift from God. God sees that you need this gift. And there are two Greek words used for the spiritual gifts. There's the word pneumatica. You might hear the word pneuma. That's the word for spirit. Pneuma is also, we get the word pneumonia. And if you have pneumonia, you have a breathing problem. You have a air problem. You have a lung problem. And so this word pneumatica, the word pneuma is the word for spirit in the, in the New Testament. That's what, you know, that's what uh, Nicodemus said, you know, the, the spirit blows. Jesus told Nicodemus, the spirit blows. And so the word pneuma for, for breath is also the word for spirit. Pneumatica is spiritual gifts. And that's used in verse 1 here. Also in verse 4 is the word charismata. And the word charis is the word for grace. So this is a grace gift. So this tells me that I can't earn this gift. I don't deserve this gift, but God gives me this gift. The pneumatica, the spiritual gift, or the grace gift that God gives me. It, it, it is something he gives. You can't pray for it. I mean, listen, you already got it. You can't say, God, I want, I want to be able to sing. Now, you might get become a better singer, but God has already given you your gift, and maybe it is that. Or maybe I, you know, I want to preach, or I want to I want to organize this, or I want to plan that, or I want to work with kids, or whatever. God has already given you the gift if you're a Christian, because that's when he gives it to you when you become a Christian. You just need to discover what it is. Just like the color of your skin, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair. You can't change it. Well, you can change the color of your hair. I know some people do do that. Any guys know anybody that does that? Yeah. You can change the color of your hair, but you can't change the color of your skin. You can't change the color of your eyes. Therefore, you can't change your gift. God has given it to you. You need to learn to not just enjoy the gift, but employ the gift. If you have it, the Bible says uh, you need to use it. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, All these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. It's almost like God is sitting up there saying, Okay, this is what I need the church to do, and so therefore I need someone to be able to do that, and someone to do this, and someone to do this, someone to do that. It's like a special forces team. They all have a job to do. It's like, it's like a, a, any kind of a team. Everybody plays a position, and if they don't play their position well, the team is not very strong. If somebody doesn't show up to do their job, then the team will fail. The team will not succeed. The team won't do as well. And so your spiritual gift, the second thing I want to tell you, was given for the common good. That's what he says here. It's for the common good. It's for the church. It's not to puff yourself up. It's not so you can feel special. It's not so you can feel holier than thou. It's not so you can say, look at me and look at what I can do. No, the gift God gave you is so that the body of Christ may shine, so that the church may work on all cylinders, so that it might be a, an organism, not just an organization, but an organism. That's what it is. It's living and active that is it's doing what God wants it to do. It's for the common good. In 
the book of Corinthians, the apostle Paul was dealing with a problem where people were saying, look at me, I can speak in tongues. And that's kind of the showy gift because I get to stand up and, and say things and everybody gets to listen to me. Paul said that, you guys, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. He said, you know, that, that's, that's something that ought to be really discouraged. He actually said in chapter 14, I'd rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 in a tongue. You know, there are people today who's like, oh, we speak in tongues, we do this, we do that. Why? Why? God's word is revealed in our language. In the first century, they didn't know what God wanted because they didn't have the scripture. We have it today. Now, I could see it being used on a mission field somewhere, but to only use it to edify myself and to say, look at me, is an incorrect way to use that gift. Maybe God is not giving that gift as much as he used to. When I was a kid in college at the University of Florida, I was... I believe living outside the will of God. I was headed for the right place, but I was taking a, the long way around. But somehow I found my way in a church service. I don't remember how, but I was in there and this was a charismatic church. So there were a lot of speaking in tongues and things going on. And the preacher came to me and he put his hand on my head and he prophesied over me. Now, I don't remember what he said, but I do remember feeling convicted because I was living outside the will of God. He didn't give me a gift, he, but he did something happen there that he reminded me, you have a gift and you need to get back on track with it. Now, do people have that gift that he had? Perhaps so. But I'm telling you, it's not for me. My gift is for you. Your gift is is for us, it's for the common good. Look, you need the church, and the church needs you. I think this pandemic is a tool of the devil. It has hurt and damaged, and in some cases destroyed a lot of churches across America, especially small churches that are not bouncing back, they're not coming back. I, I think it's a tool of the devil. We need each other. We need to spur one another. You know, it's like a horse spurring a horse on to good deeds, to encourage one another, to fellowship together. We need to do this. You know, the devil's going to use anything from the fall, disease as a result of the fall, in order to divide and destroy. We can't let that happen. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So you have a gift from God. It's not given to build you up, but to build up the body of Christ so that we can do what we do, so the church can do what it does. And the last thing I want to tell you is your spiritual gift will become known, if it's not already, as you make yourself available to God. I want to show you a list of spiritual gifts. Here's a list. I don't have time to talk about all of them, but administration, that is the, that's kind of the gift of someone who is able to organize things and plan things and oversee things so that they run properly. I believe I have the gift of administration. That's one that I love. My family hates it when I plan out our vacations. And, you know, anybody got that gift? Or it is a curse sometimes. But in the church, it's really helpful. Discernment, being able to tell when someone's 
really giving you a bunch of baloney. You know what God's word says, and that's not it. Evangelism, being able to share your faith with others. Exhortation, you're the kind of person that encourages people. You're encouraging to be around. You're not pulling people down. You're lifting them up. The gift of faith is someone who has walked with the Lord for a while, and they, they really have the uncanny and supernatural ability to stand with God regardless of their circumstances. Giving. Some people have an inclination to use their resources to help the church do what the church does or what the church should be doing. And everybody has money. Everybody has something. Some people who have money, whether it's a little or a lot, have, the, have this desire to give that money to help the church do what it does because they have the kingdom at heart. Healings. There's controversy about this one. I don't think this is the gift of healing other people. I think this is the gift of being healed. And that's such an incredible gift when you've gone through something and God has healed you from it, that you use that. Use that gift of healing to inspire others to say, you can do this. I did this. You can make this. and Eat this and do that. Exercise here. Do that. And let me show you how I can help you. Helps. The gift of helps is a behind-the-scene Second chair kind of gift. Hospitality, being able to make people feel welcome. And then there's knowledge, you know, a desire to study God's word, to know what it says. Leadership, that's kind of obvious, being able to take people from point A to B. Mercy is being able to sympathize with people who suffer and help them in that way. The gift of prophecy is what I'm doing now to take God's word and to explain it to others so that you can know what it says, and do something about it. The gift of serving is similar to helps, but it's, it's uh, really a, a, a gift that allows you to um, recognize what needs to be done and doing it. Speaking in tongues, I believe that refers to a language, being able to speak another language, glossolalia. Where that's needed today, I'm not sure, but I, I think it would be on the mission field. Teaching, that's sometimes called pastor teaching, you know, helping people grow. That's kind of what elders do, too. And wisdom is, I've been around the block, and I know how to handle the situation. I know what God's Word said because I used it here, and I'm going to use it there and help you use it. So these are not all, but most of the spiritual gifts. There's not a thousand of them. There's these, but there's a thousand of you, and everybody's got one or more of these, And the important thing is that you discover what it is. Ask God to reveal it to you. Ask your friends what they think about you. Take a test, a written test, online test. But whatever you do, find it and use it in the kingdom for the glory of God, for his church. Find a place to serve. You know, Isaiah, he he saw a picture of the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. And today I want you to see a picture of Jesus high and lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And that alone should motivate us to be available. That's the important thing. Become available with your spiritual gift to be used by God. God, I am available. That's what we need to say. I am available. Man, I'd love to see 100% of this church actively engaged in something. Somebody asked me recently, they said, how many of your church are really doing the work of your church? 
and I said this really hasn't changed over the years, a small percentage of people in the church really make the church, help the church do what it does. I'm not talking about just showing up. That's what the church does. We do this. I'm talking about going from there, taking the next step, saying, what can I do to help this church do what God wants it to do? And that's about 5 to 10% who do 90% of the work of the church. But what if it was different? What if 90% of the people, what if, what if right now Melissa and Michelle could be in a church service? I don't know, I don't remember the last time they were in a church service. You know why? Because they don't have volunteers. They don't have volunteers. They can't come into a church service. The same is true for Piper and Aubrey at our Taste Valley campus. So they have to sit out both services because they don't have volunteers to help them so that they could be in here at least one service to worship and praise with us. You see, there's a need right there. We have needs on the stage. People have to double up. People have to do duty every week where sometimes they would like to say, hey, let me take a break today and somebody else can serve. Students need volunteers. In every area, we need people to step up. What if we didn't have to ask anybody? What if we had to say, we got too many volunteers. We'll get you worked in in a couple months. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe we could start new ministries. Maybe we could have a prison ministry or a hospital ministry or all these other things. Because a few people, staff, paid people can't do it all. Besides, our job is not to do it. Our job is to help you do it because we are the church. So what, what if we were to all become available to God? This would be a church people would be talking about. Man, those people are busy in the service of the Lord. Make that your prayer today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son on the cross. And as we envision him hanging there, God, it moves us, moves us in our heart, in our mind, our spirit, that we too, since he died for us, want to live for him. Make that our aim and goal today, Lord. And use us wherever you want us. Make us available to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing and worship God and thank him for what he's given us and allowed us to do.